Hey, and welcome to the Kid Therapist Podcast. This is Allie. And this is Lauren. We are two licensed mental health therapists practicing in Maryland who love helping kids and families to manage and overcome their mental health struggles. Our goal of this podcast is to educate, inspire, and provide some insight into what could be going on with your kids. Here we go. So today we are talking all about the world of play therapy, and we have a very distinguished, accomplished guest with us, Dr. Rachel Altvader, who is the president-elect of the Maryland Board Association of Play Therapy, and we just can't wait to dive in and just soak up her expertise about what is play therapy and how childhood play, not even just childhood, all ages and stages, is play is just such a critical and necessary component of positive growth and development and healing. So here we go. Philosophers, educators, physicians, psychiatrists, and psychologists have been stressing the importance of play for many, many years. It's a common belief that childhood play is a critical and necessary component of positive childhood growth and development. Researchers agree that there's a decline in play in children today. And I recently came across an article in the Journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics to discuss the power of play in enhancing development in children, particularly in managing stress and enhancing social emotional development. Here's a favorite quote I read from it. Play is not frivolous. It enhances brain structure and function and promotes executive function, which allows us to pursue goals and ignore distractions. When play and safe, stable, nurturing relationships are missing in a child's life, toxic stress can disrupt the development of executive function and the learning of pro-social behavior. In the presence of childhood adversity, play becomes even more important. The mutual joy and shared communication and attunement That harmonious back and forth interaction that parents and children can experience during play regulates the body's stress response. I love this. It's so cool that play is brain building. Our culture is not doing great at promoting this essential play for lots of reasons. Overscheduling, increased emphasis on academic achievement, increased time spent during homework, technology, Um, I have learned that now pediatricians are even now starting to prescribe play, which is so awesome. So there are many different types of therapy, and today we want to highlight play therapy. I'm a registered play therapist because I believe so strongly in the power of play and how it helps kids express themselves and learn. And I know Allie incorporates a lot of play into her counseling work as well. We are so thrilled to have Dr. Rachel Altvader here with us today, who is very significant in the field of play therapy, and we know you're going to learn so much from her. So welcome, Rachel. We're going to read a little bio about you and, and brag about you a little bit, <laughs> and, then we'll, <laughs> and then we'll dig in, okay? Sounds good. All right. So Rachel Altvader is a licensed psychologist in Maryland, Washington, D.C., and Virginia. She's a registered play therapist supervisor and a certified clinical trauma professional. She is the owner of Creative Psychological Health Services in Catonsville, Maryland, uh, a psychologist at the Gill Institute for Trauma Recovery and Education in Fairfax, Virginia, and 
and an affiliate faculty member at Loyola University in Maryland. She's the president-elect of the Maryland DC Association for Play Therapy and the continuing education director of Starbright Training Institute. Dr. Altvader published two art articles in the International Journal of Play Therapy on her research of technology use in play therapy and is a contributing author in integrating expressive arts into counseling practice. Uh, she is the recipi recipient of the 2019 Emerging Leader Service Award, wow, mm -hmm. from the Association for Play Therapy, the 2018 Outstanding Play Therapy Research Award from the Maryland DC Association for Play Therapy, and the 2018 Distinguished Alumna of, of the Year from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, Washington DC campus. Whoa, what a... <laughs> that is the most impressive biography. You are just such an incredible woman, therapist, contributor to the field of psychology, especially in your work with children. So we are so honored to have you. And I know I am just so grateful I got to be under Rachel's supervision when I was pursuing my credential to be a registered play therapist. So, 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 so excited Welcome, to have Rachel. you here with us. I am so excited to be here. And I am so grateful that you both have this podcast and are sharing so much important information about children, child development and therapy. It is an absolute need. You both make a significant impact as well. So this is just going to be wonderful. And I hope that everyone listening will learn a lot. I know we I know they will. So <laughs> let's just kind of kick it off. What is play therapy? Yeah, it's a method of psychotherapy really across the lifespan it's for any age however the primary focus tends to be ages 3 to 12 um, but it is yes yeah, so it's a method of psychotherapy that utilizes expressive therapies of play and sometimes art or other types of modalities to help kids process what is going on understand what is going on and ultimately work through whatever they're struggling with Awesome. That is so cool. And I love seeing how like play therapy is conducted and how it unfolds. Like how do you like what do you feel like is the magic of play therapy? Like how does it work exactly? I know this is a question I get a lot from parents. <laughs> yeah. I mean play is a child's natural mode of communication. So we all when we're very, very, very little, we learn about our environment through sensory motor which means, you know, we touch things and we taste things and we're soaking in the environment that way. And then we start to learn to play. We start to learn how to navigate our world through our senses, through play. So this is the first language. We are learning about ourselves. We are learning about those around us. We're learning about the world through our interactions. So, um, you know, younger children are not going to necessarily be able to articulate all that we are articulating right now and, and won't necessarily understand it to the degree that we do because we've had so many years of education and understanding that they are very much in the world of play and, and making connections with other people and understanding more about themselves. So I really think that is the primary magic is it's, it's how they speak. It's how they understand. I love that. And I love the, you know, play is their language. I love mm -hmm. using that to help parents and, you know, teachers, just people in the community who maybe, you know, just see, oh, you're just playing with them. It's like, well, that's right. how they're, <laughs> you know, that's how they're expressing, you know, their emotions, you know, what, what's going on, their experiences, you know, it's, it's so cool to have that as a modality in therapy. 
Yeah, I love that you bring up that it's, you know, their developmentally appropriate way to express themselves. They're not going to come and sit on the couch in the therapy office and use their verbal language in the way that we would as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are, their work that they're doing is just as important. Absolutely. I like to also talk about brain development a little bit. There's the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain. And of course, they work together. And that's how we're able to maneuver about our lives. Um, But our right side of the brain tends to be more expressive. And that's where a lot of the play based work comes out of, especially the nonverbal stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, The left side of the brain is the more cognitive, higher order, um, uh, verbal uh, functioning. Of course, it's not just one side is set on one thing and one side is set on another. There is a lot of connections, but ultimately children primarily are making sense of a lot of their their feelings and experiences through the nonverbal right brain functions. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's another reason why play therapy is so helpful because to expect a child not only to speak a different language, but to have different functionings that their their brain is not quite there yet um, is is asking a little too much of something that they're not able to provide. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that you touched on that they can express through it too. I think I remember learning about when I was going through the play therapy process, like so many times kids in their world, like they just, there's so much that kids don't have control over in their worlds and kind of through play, they can express and resolve and kind of gain that sense of understanding and, and even some sense of control over situations where they feel very helpless in. Yeah, definitely. Control, mastery, a sense of permissiveness, like a sense of permission to be who they are. Mm. It's so important. Kids often are the smaller person in the room. And so, Mm. you know, a lot of times, at least from my understanding and and my interactions, you know, kids kind of, if if we're standing up and speaking at them, they kind of, you know, they, they feel smaller. They feel like sometimes what they have to say doesn't have as much value. Like they have to, they're told what to do. They have to do what they have to do because of authority figures. And so to be able to have a space where they're able to gain a sense of control and mastery and they're able to work through what they need, because I really truly believe that everyone has within themselves the power to figure out what needs to, what they need to do to be able to heal. And children are no different. And so being able to allow them that space to, to show them that they can is really, really valuable. Mm. To show that. them that they can. And it also, like you said, really takes away that power differential. Yeah. And give them the space yeah. to, to do that, that safe space. And also the connection piece. I feel like that's, you know, a big part of play therapy mm-hmm. and just playing with, you know, the child that you have in the therapy environment is, you know, being very connected, very attuned, very just, you know, giving them that open space to express whatever's going on with them with no judgment. And I think it's, you know, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. What are some things that parents might bring their child to for play therapy? Like, are there certain diagnoses or um, presenting issues or concerns that might be appropriate for play therapy? Honestly, anything. Um, I mean, something as maybe a, a minor difficulty at school or home all the way to maybe a significant mental concern. Uh, but really, I mean, it's for, for any child um, who... There are so many different modalities of play therapy. Some are geared more towards particular presenting concerns and some are, you know, particular modalities, which I'm sure we'll get into very shortly. Uh, but but really any, anything. Um, I think a lot of times people feel that, um, you know, that they, they're lost with their kids. They don't really know mm-hmm. what to do. I mean, 
I know this is probably is said all the time, but kids are, are not born with a with a manual. Mm-hmm. You know? yep. And it's funny because there are so many manuals out there now with how to raise happy, healthy kids. <laughs> That's so true. You know, and, and it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, mm-hmm. you know. So a lot of times parents sometimes just feel lost and, and don't really know what to do and how to navigate the situations with their families and their kids. And so, you know, there, it doesn't have to be an extremely serious concern um, for a parent to seek that support for their child, for themselves and their family. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I really answered the question because I think it's really anything. If there's any concern, if you want any additional guidance and support to understand where your child is, how your child is developing, I normalize a lot for families. People think that they're the only ones mm-hmm. or their child is struggling in comparison to other kids their age. And well, yes, that is that can be true. Um, sometimes it's a lot more normal than people realize. So, I mean, it's a, a broad spectrum. I love that. I love that it, it's so accessible. Like, it's really meant for all ages and stages and kids coming with any sort of different issues or concerns or um, that it just really is, it's it's meant for all. Yeah. And, yeah. and I love yeah. that. And, and I wonder if there's any kind of, like, nuances or differences between, like, play therapy with tweens and teens and kind of that older childhood age. Like, what do, what do you tend to do? maybe differently with that older demographic yeah I um a couple different things uh, I am very into incorporating technology into sessions because play mm-hmm. therapy is all about meeting children where they are yeah. and where are children nowadays Technology. Right? So if we are trying to understand in therapy what's going on for a child, that way we can help families understand what is going on. And that's where they're spending their time and that's how they're playing. I do incorporate a lot more technological type interventions for for the the tweens. you know, show me your favorite YouTube channel. Uh, tell me about your favorite apps and just getting a little bit more information about that. So that's that's one thing that I do specifically. But I think uh, before I got into technology, um, it was more of the expressive arts through like through painting, drawing, writing, music, things of that sort. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, if you think of play therapy as how do people play at different stages in their life, a younger child might play with a dollhouse and little army figurines and cars and blocks and then as kids get older their play does adjust we don't stop playing that well at least we hope we don't stop playing so really however your child is playing would be the best way to meet them in therapy and play with them in that regard as well I love that you talked about some of the different ways that you meet kids where they are and speak their language and join with them. Um, Technology is such a big one, especially for those tweens and teens. I think, do you do some sanctuary work as well? Yes. Yeah. Can Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, a sand tray is a rectangular tray that's usually painted blue inside, and um, and then it's full of, of sand. And then there are often miniatures, so miniatures are small representations of real-world objects, such as houses, people, animals, food, um, scary items, religious items, other cultural diverse items, um, and they're usually categorized. And... You can either have it be more directive where you encourage a a child or a teenager to build something particular in the sand or to show you something that happened in the sand. Or it can be more non-directive where they just have the the permission to to do as they need, to process how they need in the sand tray. 
Um, so it, it can be used a variety of different ways. But ultimately, like I was mentioning before, how a lot of times children feel like the smaller object or person in the room. The great thing about miniatures is it allows the child to be the more dominant uh, mm-hmm. figure, you know, bigger and is able to manipulate the items in a way where they feel like they can have control over it. So sand tray is extremely health, uh, helpful and healing because it also enters that non-verbal world where kids can show you versus tell you. And I love to explain things in adult terms mm-hmm. because I think sometimes it's a little hard for us to understand what is actually going on because from an outsider's perspective, it just kind of looks like, you know, you're just playing, right? I'm mm-hmm. air quoting. Right, <laughs> <Just> right. <laughs> so I like to explain it's kind of like a dream. When you wake up and you try to explain to someone else what happened in your dream, and then you're kind of at a loss for words because when you start to explain it, then you quickly realize this isn't what the dream was actually about. Wait, but I can't actually explain it this way. And then you get get kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you were to draw it or show someone, you can explain it without having to articulate it. And so that's kind of some of what goes on in sand tray is children are able to show and teenagers are able to show versus tell. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's helpful because we don't have the words, but it's also sometimes helpful too because it provides this safe distance. Yeah. And if I ask a kid, what happened at school today? You know, or you got in trouble at school today, I heard the child likely is going to say, nope, that wasn't me. Yeah, they may feel a lot of shame about that. Yes, absolutely. So much shame. Um, so this the sand tray or even play in general it allows for this what's called externalization where you put what's inside your mind on to something else Mm -hmm. and you're able to to look at it from that safe enough distance so Mm -hmm. sand tray is so wonderful for for all ages and definitely is helpful for um i actually have some adults so at first they're kind of like "Mm, i don't know (laughs) i don't know about that like just try it and um and it's a, a lot of times they're like, wow, okay. I'm like, I know, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. You don't really necessarily know what it's like until you, you try it. Yeah. That's amazing. And and you had touched on, Rachel, like directive versus non-directive, like when you're in a session with a kid. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, so there are two main kind of umbrellas for uh, approach in play therapy, non-directive and directive. So non-directive is what it sounds like. You don't direct the child to do or say specific things. You don't come in and ask a bunch of questions. Um, the child comes in and is able to choose what they want to engage with, uh, if they want to share anything verbally or if they do not want to, and you follow their lead. And there are particular techniques that play therapists are trained to utilize during non-directive approaches to make sure that the child, um, you know, it feels heard and validated and um, that what they have going on and what they're showing um, is, is validated and, and potentially normalized. But, um, but there's all, a whole bunch of different techniques that we can implement, but ultimately the child leads and we follow. Mm-hmm. Directive approaches is more where the, um, the therapist will come in and have a particular I guess, agenda um, for the child so that the child is reaching their therapy goals and might ask particular questions or might guide the play in a particular way. So let's say non-directive, a child comes and decides to play with with a dollhouse. With directive, a therapist would encourage the child to engage and play with the dollhouse. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of who's directing the play. And I know there's kind of another branch, too, for play therapists. Some people use um, kind of a blended or prescriptive approach between um, the two of them as well. 
gosh. Yeah, actually, I think that's honestly the most popular. I think mm-hmm. many play therapists do that a lot that I've spoken to at least blend non-directive and directive, and it depends on a variety of factors. Younger kids, like very young kids, I see as young as three. Mm-hmm. Um, for a three-year-old, I'm going to have the three-year-old guide more so than maybe an older kid. So if I have a teenage client, I'm more likely to provide some suggestions and have more directive approaches than a younger kid. So that's for me, age is one thing, but also presenting concern. Um, and then also every therapist operates under a different type of theoretical model. And mm-hmm. so it also depends on what theoretical model the, the play therapist or or a therapist who implements play techniques is utilizing but yeah it is it is often a blend yeah so there like you said there there's different types of therapy and what are some things a parent who's um you know feeling like they want to seek counseling services for their child what are some things that they might want to consider when they are searching for a registered play therapist or thinking about taking their child to therapy First and foremost, I tell every single person this that walks into my office, you have to find the right fit. Um, I always say that therapy is like a pair of shoes. You have to find the right fit. You sometimes can find those pairs of shoes that are super comfortable from the get-go. There are some pairs of shoes that usually dressy shoes. You have to kind of wear them in. They're uncomfortable and become comfortable. And there are some pairs of shoes that are never comfortable at all. You never even want to take them off the shelf or try them on. You know, so the first and foremost, you just figure out, you know, what pair of shoes is this therapist going to be for you? If it's a little uncomfortable at first because it's it's scary, it can be vulnerable to go and to meet someone new and to, you know, share with them some pretty challenging things that your child is struggling with or your family is struggling with. Um, it can be uncomfortable at first, but ultimately you want to make sure that it's a good fit. So hands down, no matter what therapy modality you are going to be seeking for your child, it is so important that you find the right fit. I like to use the analogy of shoes because it's like you're shopping. Um, I think mm-hmm. a lot of times... So I think it's better now. I think societally I've noticed, you know, that you know that you can have second, third opinions. But I think, you know, back in the day, I think that you went to a doctor. What they said was what it was and you didn't question it. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, sometimes people have um, therapists they just don't drive well with. And it's okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just like you're not going to get along with every single person in the world, you're not going to get along with every therapist. But I spend so much time explaining this to people because I do think it's so important. Research consistently shows that a, uh, a close therapeutic relationship, like a very um, close bond and uh, comfort in therapy is a predictor of success in therapy. So that's the first thing. The other thing is is to ask more questions about the approach that the, that the therapist is working under. Do you implement family work? Do you implement parenting work? Is it just for the child? And and see what what your thoughts are, what you would want to obtain. You know, would you want to be a little bit more involved in the sessions? You know, it, do you think that it would be more helpful if you got more um, guidance and support to help your child than having your child receive support only? Um, so I think it's just knowing that you can ask questions. And if you don't know... Um, a lot about the approach that is extremely normal and completely okay and just ask questions about it. So those are the the main things I think for starters that are so important when approaching uh, play therapy, but again, really any therapy services. That shoe analogy is awesome. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, (laughs) because I I think, yeah, people are definitely in this mindset where they feel like, okay, well, I'm at, you know, I'm meeting with this person, so this has to be the one, you know, or I was Uh referred to this office or, you know, I've been on this wait list. I've been waiting for so long. Well, I have to be with this person, but, you know, they have the freedom. They have, you know, the power 
empowered to decide, you know, this is for their kids' mental health. This is to help, you know, them progress and develop. You know, this is really important. So mm-hmm. I, I love that you place so much emphasis on that. I think that's that's yeah. really cool. And then you touched on family work, too. We were talking about how play therapy um, can be you know, an evidence-based treatment for all ages and stages, but you can also bring that into family work as well. I know a lot of times a lot of my teens are really nervous and reluctant to do some family work and thinking that it's all going to be verbal talking Mm -hmm. and what are my parents going to say and what am I going to say? And, um, you know, I love bringing in some play therapy into, into those times as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, Rachel, we have some therapists that listen to our podcast, and, and we're very thankful for you guys. Um, would you touch on maybe some briefly how a therapist would become a registered play therapist? Definitely. Yeah, so the Association for Play Therapy is the organization that is in charge of the credentialing, but also is um, oversees the play therapy field and makes sure that all play therapists are practicing ethically and follow the highest standards. Um, so in order to become a registered play therapist or a registered play therapist supervisor, um, you can go to their website. Um, it's a4pt.org, four as in the number four, so a4pt. Um, and there is um, a tab that says become a registered play therapist, and they have a lot of detailed information about all the specifics. So I, I first want to have you check out there because this um, brief overview is not going to be comprehensive. Um, and they did just update their standards and I know are continuing to try to make sure that the um, that there's a high level of, of standardization and um, an expectation for play therapists. So I just say that so you know that it, this is not going to be a comprehensive overview. But ultimately, um, you need 150 training hours specifically in play therapy and they have um, three phases that you'll go through certain uh trainings so it starts more with basic foundational um, knowledge and then it moves more into specific theories and interventions and and things of that sort and then you have to have a certain amount of supervised hours by a registered play therapist supervisor and a certain amount of hours to work with children providing play therapy services while you're under that supervision and while you're obtaining your training so um the numbers are changing. You do need 35 supervised hours and 350 um, face-to-face hours starting uh, the 1st of January. So it's a lot of um, extensive training, and um, you know, but it is, it's a wonderful community, and I know so many play therapists help guide play therapists in training, and it's, it's very supportive, um, at least to my, my experience. Yeah, I can play speak therapists. to that, too. It's a, a really <laughs> awesome community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, play therapists are my kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you definitely have support along the way. You can always lean on people to ask questions, because I know that sometimes when we're trying to seek credentialing, it can feel very overwhelming and I and I mean credentialing for any type of credential it's a mm-hmm. lot of extra uh, work and money and effort and I know that we all want to provide the best care to the families and kids that we work with um, so it can be a lot to, to navigate but it is definitely worth it and it is it is wonderful and I um, I of course love teaching and uh, supervising you know the, the upcoming play therapists because you know I think we can never have too many yeah. So I'm always available to, you know, if anyone listening who is interested is, is more than welcome to, to reach out to me and, um, you know, I can always provide additional guidance and support in the process. 
I can awesome. vouch for, you know, how, again, you heard her bio, how significant <laughs> of a leader Rachel or Dr. Alvader is in the play therapy world and um, how supportive she is. Um, thanks for sharing kind of all that goes into that credential. I think that's helpful for parents to know as well. Like you said, sometimes it can look like you're just playing dollhouse or putting figures in the sand. Um, but there's a lot of credibility to that credential and a lot of hours and training and supervision. Um, sometimes I tell parents it's, it's kind of like being trained in another language and, um, and how to use that language to help kids. So thanks for sharing and all the, the credibility and training that really goes into being a registered play therapist. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you were saying, not a whole lot of people really know. And I think, that again, that goes for any credential. There's a lot of time and effort and, and knowledge that goes into it. Um, so, yes, and, and I actually challenge um, the parents listening to pay attention to your child playing next time and mm-hmm. see what you notice because the more we lean into their play process the more we actually discover and recognize that they're they're doing and you know what they're processing it's fascinating yes. yeah i love that you said that do you ever like um prescribe like homework to to families like to encourage parents to you know use some of the skills that you might use in a session and practice it at home Yes and no. Yes, because I think that's important. And I definitely talk with parents in general about the importance of play and how to incorporate play more at home, maybe even having special playtime. So I, if I am doing what's called filial play therapy, that's really teaching parents how to do play therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're not doing therapy on their kids, but right. it's teaching them the, the play therapy skills. And with that, there is like prescribed special playtime. So if, if I am doing that particular modality, yes. I say no because um, at the same time, because my therapy approach is primarily what's called humanistic. And I think a lot of times um, more when I'm implementing what's called cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, that's usually mm-hmm. when I do assign homework. It's a particular kind of therapy where a lot of times you have people do things in between sessions mm-hmm. it's a lot more structured right but with mm-hmm. my particular approach I don't have I might I might suggest and guide but I don't actually prescribe um like homework yeah a lot mm-hmm. of times just because of my approach but I still recommend yeah. <laughs> yeah. um yeah I, I think that's cool to bring up that there's um a whole approach like you said filial play therapy that's between parent and child where um, you know, trained therapists in filial play therapy can oftentimes, like you're not doing therapy with your child, but give parents skills to kind of be some of those agents of of healing, you know, with their child. And that's really powerful in the parent-child relationship. So, yeah. Yeah. Just, there's so many, so many branches of play therapy. It's really exciting. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I feel like they're continuing to expand and more research is coming out and, you know, play therapy is an evidenced form of therapy. It's been recognized as an evidence-based form of therapy because of the research. So the research continues to come out and more modalities continue to come out to help kids through the healing powers of play. It's really awesome. That's great. Well, I just got um, the book that you um, were a part of about integrating technology into modern therapy, and I can't wait to dive some more into that and continue to to learn about that. And I, again, we're so honored to have yeah, you here. You're such you a contributor so to this field. We can field. post the book on our yeah. Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's a link for it. Do you have a link, Rachel, for that? Yeah, I can send that to you. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. We'll post that. 
Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Rachel. It's been great talking to you. Your your knowledge and your, you know, achievements are, you know, we're so lucky to, ha- to have you a part of this podcast today. I'm so fortunate to be part of it. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Great. Thanks, Rachel. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. Bye.